0: For listening to America's Web Radio on the America's Broadcast Network.com.
1: Thank you for listening. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. <clears throat> I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz. Each week we come to you and bring you the best in health care information that is out there. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is the sponsor of the Doctor's Lounge, and uh, the the, um, foundation is the only healthcare think tank that is uh, founded and run uh, entirely by physicians. Our key issues are the doctor-patient relationship and healthcare freedom, things that we have been advocating and fighting for for the past decade. Uh, Each week we try to arm you with the information that you need so that you can be an advocate for your own health care. So I would encourage everyone who's listening to this radio show today to please go to our website and support us, uh, help us continue to bring you this show and do the work that we've been doing for the past decade, and uh, we'll, we'll continue to fight the good fight. Our website is d4pcfoundation.org. That's www.d4pcfoundation.org. And this is a plug for our uh, second annual direct primary care uh, conference, which is Unlike any other direct primary care conference, thanks in large part to the president of DOS for Patient Care, which is Lee Gross, one of the early adopters of the direct primary care movement and a nationally respected leader in this field. Uh, Thanks to a generous um, uh, grant from the Physicians Foundation, we've been able to uh, successfully put on a meeting a year ago, which was such a hit. That uh, the foundation came, the Physicians Foundation came right back to us and uh, wanted to support another meeting one year later, which is what is going to happen in Orlando a week from this Friday. There's still some openings left. Physicians can uh, sign up for uh, free. and get CME credits for this, which is unbelievable. That's something that usually does not happen. And learn about direct primary care, which in my opinion is going to be the um, the life preserver for healthcare in this country when uh, everything completely unravels as it seems to be doing right in front of our very eyes. So um, uh, if you are inv- interested in... Direct primary care as an administrator or a uh, um, non physician who wants to learn about this. It's very modest fee to uh, attend, so please go to the website. <coughs> you can learn about uh, about this conference, and we would love to have you. Last year, we had uh, two hundred and seventy. Doctors from 41 states attend and uh, this year proves to, uh, promises to be um, a uh, equally incredible experience so so uh, don't don't miss out on that <sighs> before I uh, launch into healthcare care it almost seems that that uh, talking about health care in light of what's happening in the country in uh, in North America, is uh, is so trivial when we're dealing with natural disasters that have affected three major uh, population areas in this country, and then a mass shooting that is uh, beyond the pale. Talking about healthcare issues almost seems uh, um, trite and, and and inconsequential. And my heart and prayers go out to all of the in, injured, the wounded from this um, tragic uh, event in Las Vegas and to all the survivors of the natural disasters and to the uh, families of those who were lost in all of these uh, events, and And hopefully we will have better days ahead of us. Um, so let's let's pull this back into healthcare, which is what this show is all about. And I wanted to um, start the show by talking a little bit about the uh, uh, Tom Price situation and try to um, unpackage the uh, events that happened surrounding uh, the Tom Price resignation as the Secretary of HHS. This is essentially a professional postmortem on the Tom, Tom Price, um, secretary of uh, HHS position. His resignation is being hailed by the left as a major win for them. And now that he's gone, perhaps we can really get to the business of fixing health care, they say. The right is um, troubled by this, wondering how could he... Even let himself get into this position. What was he thinking? This was going to be our opportunity to get rid of Obamacare and fix things. and And uh, why did he allow himself to get into this position? So I'd like to just take a, a, a segment and examine what happened and and uh, and see if we can make some sense of this. The dust up. Settled, uh, centered rather around the use of private jets for travel, and the truth is that not only is this a common practice for high-profile political figures, but it's been done for years by Democrats, by Republicans, and it's been done in this administration by other cabinet members. And um, as as someone who personally knows. former Secretary Price um, and understanding what the demands on his schedule were, where he sometimes needed to be in more than two cities in the same day that were hundreds of miles apart. Um, There was no way that a commercial um, air schedule could accommodate the demands of a position as his did. And, And so... The the uh, uh, charter flights, the the uh, uh, private travel. That was that's the only way for someone in his position to be able to fulfill the, the, the task, the role of that job, and 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 not not to even mention that somebody who is a high profile person in the administration. You know, th- it's there's some risk. In traveling commercially, and so so, um, you know, this is this is something that the left has manufactured. And let me tell you what I mean by that. the 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 left did not want Tom Price to be the secretary of HHS right from the get-go. If you remember back, they tried to keep him from being the secretary by digging up dirt that was really not a non-story. They were trying to claim that he was involved in insider trading, that he used his position in Congress as, as a uh, representative who was dealing with health care issues to allow favorable um, laws to be passed that would um, then uh, benefit a company that he was involved with and when when this was all dissected out it turned out that he actually lost money on this deal and i mean he it, when you talk about doctors and investing the two don't go together anybody who who knows anything about the the business acumen of doctors knows that they are easy marks they're targets of people who prey on them because they are not good business men not good business decision makers and so this this turned out to be a non-story so the left was stuck with him and um, they were looking for a way to bring him down um, they the, this travel business since when is this a firing offense because if it is you probably have to get rid of most everybody in Washington, which would not be a bad idea. But but this is a slippery slope because now this opens up the door to examining every mundane, non-consequential issue that the left can manufacture and gin up outrage about thanks to their media cohorts, and, and tried to spin public opinion in a way that really is manufactured outrage. They've applied a double standard to this issue that um, beforehand never really uh, was an issue. And what's surprising and what is sad is that President Trump, a man who supposedly does not care one lick for the media and does not believe anything that they report bought this bought this narrative bought this story hook line and sinker and he took the bait and he ran with it so why did that happen uh, uh, let me let me get back to that in a second the left's hatred for price was um was was just so obvious and and um and he, price has long been an opponent of obamacare and he felt that as the uh as as a congressman he he uh devoted his his uh, career to working on health care issues this is a guy who was a um a very very well respected orthopedic surgeon is a guy who was a state senator who dealt with health care issues in the state of Georgia. He went to Washington, and he devoted a good part of his career working on health care issues. He understood the, this issue better than anybody in Washington. And he felt that he had done all he could to make his contribution as a congressman in this arena and that the best thing that he could do was to step down from a job that he could have had for the rest of his life because his district in Georgia loved him. He had 75% approval rating in his district. So he could have had that job for the rest of his life, but instead he chose, when asked, To be the secretary of HHS, I don't believe that he necessarily even lobbied for that job. I I suspect that Mike Pence, a colleague of his in Congress, a friend of his, likely came to him and said, Tom, you're the best man for the job. Would you take this job? And Tom, being the guy he is, who is a straight shooter, squeaky clean guy, who cares nothing for um, accolades or for um, riches, but instead has devoted his his career after being a doctor to public service he um, he stepped up and he uh, decided that he would uh, he would help and he would take that job and um, and nobody in Washington appreciated. The issues that he devoted his life to, which were the sanctity of the doctor-patient relationship and the importance of putting patients in charge of their own healthcare, and um, and so this this is a guy who uh, would would really who is thinking of the country first, patients second, and him not himself at all. And uh, it, was, it was very disappointing that uh, it ended this way. And I'm going to finish this line of thinking and this story when we get back. So stay with us.
0: Did you miss the show that
1: you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like.
2: The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you.
0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: You're back with us in the Doctor's Lounge. Today we were uh, starting the show and continuing trying to unravel the uh, debacle at uh, Health and Human Services and uh, uh, the, uh, I say firing, although it was not technically a firing of uh, Tom Price. So why, why is he not there? Why is he out? Well, the left was enraged, what he was doing from inside Health and Human Services, trying to weaken Obamacare. And it seems likely to those of us who are paying attention that there were insiders left in HHS, holdovers from the Obama administration, who were um, helping to take him down. They were feeding uh, information to people who would be able to use it against Tom Price and uh, and do what what has occurred, which is to take something as uh, as uh, seemingly innocuous as travel and and uh, gin this up and make it into an a federal case essentially um, a Democratic group called Protecting Our Care um, tried to make price as least credible as possible, and they raised money, wouldn't surprise me if this is a George Soros group, but raised money to um to impugn his credibility, and um, and and they they were just um, troubled by what he was doing. Um, he had already shortened the Obamacare enrollment period. He was reducing the marketing budget for Obamacare. Um, he reduced the hours that the Obamacare um, uh, website was open. He slashed payments to the Obamacare navigators. That story came out that these navigators were making more than doctors. Um, And he was using social media to discredit Obamacare. And other plans were underway, including slowing the transition to MACRA and the uh, conversion of payments from a fee-for-service model to a, quote, quality model because he understood and knew that doctors in small practices could not comply with these regulations that were put in place and would ultimately suffer and either go out of business or have to sell their practices to the hospitals who are gobbling them up at fire sale prices, and Tom, as a staunch supporter of free markets and of the private practice of medicine, could not stomach the fact that um, that these these doctors were were uh, going to be uh, incapable of staying in business because of federal regulations that these doctors as small mom-and-pop shops could not comply with. Um, He was also planning on um, extending the waiver program if Medicaid block grants could not be approved in a sweeping um, bill that was supposed to take place to repeal and replace Obamacare. So the left felt that he needed to be stopped. Um, the permanent staff at HHS was his biggest problem, and um, and and, uh, some, and there were people there who felt that he, he uh, needed to be taken down. But his second biggest problem was President Trump, and Trump likely held Price responsible for the failure to get Obamacare repealed. And never mind that Trump did nothing to lobby for the repeal, like he's doing now taking his dog and pony show around the country for tax reform. Had he done the same thing with health care, I venture to say that we may be having a different conversation today, but he did nothing. He expected others to carry the water and do the heavy lifting for Obamacare, and he was just going to sit at his desk with his pen and sign whatever they put across his desk, and that was completely irresponsible on his part, and he needs to take culpability for that. He cannot blame others for the failure of Obamacare. He has to um, step up and be a man and and uh, and claim equal responsibility. But people have said, you know, the narcissist in him would... Uh, would prevent him from blaming himself and he needed a fall guy and price was that fall guy um, we didn't hear a peep out of out of president trump when this travel issue came up with steve mnuchin or when it came up with jared kushner but only with tom price did we hear him say that this did not look good and he was troubled and that's because he was determined to make Price the fall guy. Uh, Price was never close to President Trump. I I believe that he was a Pence guy, as I said. I think that Pence likely was the one who recruited him and convinced President Trump to accept him as the HHS guy. Um, uh, He sold him as the best man for the job. So he was expected to bring Congress along, bring them together, and deliver Obamacare because he was the insider. He was the guy in Congress who knew everybody, and I think that he probably succeeded in the House. You know, the House was a very tough cell. Uh, you remember the Freedom Caucus. They were, they were um, fighting the, the, the Tuesday group, these factions in the House that had issues with health care. But they ultimately came together, and I think that a large part of that had to do, not with Obama, but probably with um, Price and Ryan, two two very, very good friends, very close um, colleagues for many years. And um, and I think that that was uh, a Price uh, accomplishment. The Senate was another story, because um, Price had no... Um no cards in in that uh, uh, in that deck he had no horse in that race. he knew nobody in in really in the Senate on an intimate basis and these guys in the Senate are just all you know uh, wild cards themselves we don 't know you know what they 're thinking and you know what what they 're doing and somebody shared with me a long time ago that in the Senate, these guys probably don't really even understand health care nor do they want to even talk about health care and if given the opportunity they would just as soon have a single-payer system so that they can get this off their plate then then have to deal with all of this stuff that we're dealing with on a regular basis so the fact that the Senate could not bring this um, home could not could not close, the deal on this—it's not Price's fault. This is the fault of the dysfunctional Senate, the dysfunctional leader in the Senate who couldn't control his own caucus, and uh, and and Price should not have taken the fall for this. So now Obamacare appeal is dead for the time being, at least, and there's no one at the helm of HHS um, with uh, any kind of Healthcare savvy just at the time when we need to have a person like that the most in place. Um, I think that this was a major Trump faux pas. He's made a few so far in his presidency, a few missteps along the way. I'm not going to be on the anti-Trump bandwagon. I think he's done quite a few good things, but this one was not one of them. And he does not understand the nuances of health care. This is an issue that is far beyond his pay scale. And he has shown an unwillingness to really learn about this issue. And he depends on people around him to give him the information and to um, bring him up to speed on this. And unfortunately, right now, in his inner circle and in his cabinet and administration, I don't think there's anybody who really understands these issues at all. He had somebody, and now that person is gone. So just when Obamacare is unraveling and Americans are going to be hurt the most, there's no one at the helm of the federal health care agency. As President Trump would say, how sad. I've been asked several times um, in the last couple of weeks by several news agencies, news sources, who I would recommend as the next HHS, HHS secretary. And when when asked, I couldn't really come up with anybody. And I gave, I've, since since these questions have been posed, I've given this issue a tremendous amount of thought. Some names have been thrown around um uh, leading the list are Scott Gottlieb, who is a physician, an internist. He was working at um, Amer- at aei Amer- uh, American uh, Enterprise Institute for a good number of years He um, has I think he is now in the he is now in the Trump administration. Um, working on FDA matters, he is an expert on that. He wound up uh, having to step down off his uh, out of his positions as a consultant to most of the, or if not all of the uh, um, uh, pharmaceutical companies that he was a consultant for. Um, he knows healthcare. He knows healthcare policy. Um, I think that the left would take him apart and eat him alive. I'm not sure he's the, he's, he, he would survive uh, being in that position, although he might be a good candidate for that. Um, Seema Verma is the, uh, the CMS director. Wonderful, wonderful woman. She is the architect of uh, Healthy Indiana, good friend of Mike Pence, uh, another name that's been thrown out there third name has been bobby jindal bobby jindal you know is is a a clear thinker good um good politician he articulates the the uh free market issues well um not not a physician and i'm going to tell you what i think the next person should be i came up with a list of qualifications which i think the next secretary should have i definitely think it should be a doctor And I say that because doctors are the only individuals who truly give a damn about patients. It should be a free market person because only by reestablishing market principles in healthcare will costs be reined in and special interests be neutralized. And it should be someone with either healthcare policy experience, political experience, or both. The list of people who fit this bill is not extensive. Maybe somebody from the House GOP Doctors Caucus, somebody like Phil Rowe or John Fleming. John Fleming is a former congressman from Louisiana who's now in HHS. Phil Rowe is a current congressman from Tennessee. They they would both be excellent choices. But the bigger question is, who in their right mind would want this job? Who would give up job security of where they currently work, to roll the dice and hope that your new boss is less a reality show personality um, claiming you're fired if you don't get the job done quickly, when when in in this position we need somebody who's going to support these people. The president demands loyalty, and I think it's not too much to expect this to be a reciprocal relationship. So that was the Tom Price post mortem and HHS. We'll touch on a couple of other issues when we get back, so stay with us.
2: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: We are back in the doctor's lounge. Um, once again, I wanted to uh, put a plug in for our uh, direct primary care conference coming up um, a week from this uh Friday, Uh, I'm going to pull the date right now. It will be October 13th in Orlando, Florida. And it will be a uh, smash event um, with um, CME credits for physicians who attend and workshops so that doctors who want to get involved in direct primary care can learn how to do so. And those who already are doing this can uh, go ahead and uh, refine. And uh, um, make their practices better, and people who are interested in learning about it because they've heard about it and don't understand it can come in and uh, get a uh, basically um, a uh, a course in in what this is, and uh, get more information in uh, uh, in a day and a half than they can possibly uh, uh, learn about reading these issues. Uh, online or uh, in in, uh, white papers uh, at home. So uh, please go to the website www.d4pcfoundation.org look at what uh, this conference is all about and sign up for it. There's still some openings left. Where do we stand now on health care is really I think the the big issue. With health care reform dead uh, for the time being uh, there there are people in Washington scrambling, trying to figure out what's going to happen. The um, You've heard about the insurance subsidies discussed on this show and on the news on a regular basis. There, uh, President Trump has threatened to defund and stop these payments, which um, the House of Representatives claims are illegal payments. And there's a uh, case that is uh, in the courts right now to that effect. Um, The insurance companies say that they cannot continue to provide the product that they're providing with all of the mandates that Obamacare compels them to uh, provide in policies without the subsidies or without raising the premiums. And so with these uh, subsidies disappearing, Insurance companies are either raising the premiums to just astronomical levels unseen before Obamacare, or they're just getting out because they realize that they don't want any part of this anymore. The GOP is concerned that they're going to be blamed. They're going to be left as the ones holding the bag for the Obamacare Free fall for the instability in the insurance market, and they're the ones who are the reason Obamacare is failing. When in fact, Obamacare itself is just absolutely so so flawed and so f- so fragile that it is um, not possible to uh, prop this law up without massive government um, subsidies and and help. Um, So now people are talking about bipartisanship, including the president, who is saying that he is willing to reach across the aisle and get this done because the Republicans can't do it. The Senate is more on board with this idea about bipartisanship than the House is. And the powerful Freedom Caucus is concerned that all the talk is centered on giving insurance companies subsidies without lowering the insurance premiums, and for th- this group, for this caucus, that's a non-starter because, again, the big winner in this situation are the special interests, the insurance companies, who get the best of both worlds. They get money from the government, which means money from you and I, the taxpayers, and they get to raise the premiums at the same time. So they are basically the Las Vegas House. They they can't lose. And the GOP wants to give states more flexibility over Medicaid. This is a non-starter for Democrats who view this as a step backwards unless they get the subsidies that they want. So there's a tentative middle ground here um, with a Senate deal allowing for lower cost health care plans or quote, copper plans that uh, would uh, allow people to have uh, a watered down version of uh, what currently are um, the standard uh, uh, plans on the Obamacare exchanges. What's really you know th- at this point, the the issue is that anything that happens in Congress, is it too little, too late? Um, the 2018 premiums have already, those, those um, the, the requests for premium increases have already been put in because come November 1st, which is 25 days from now, those rates are locked in stone. So there is really very little time, very little wiggle room to make any changes. And, State regulators are trying to keep insurers in their markets. So they're approving premium increases that the insurance companies are requesting across the country. Rates going up as high as 50 to 60 percent above what they were. In some cases, um, over 70 percent. In Georgia, the rates are going up 57.5%, 57.5%, and the uh, insurance commissioner is willing to do just about anything to keep the existing insurance companies here in the state now that Blue Cross Blue Shield, or Anthem, pulled out of the Atlanta market, which is going to affect between forty and 60,000 people. That means come January 1, they are stuck. They have no insurance. And um, I was talking with um, uh, a uh, friend of mine who was uh, sharing with me that one of the people who work for him is uh, got their rate increased by their insurer that uh, it was going to go up so much money that her health care insurance, her monthly health care insurance, was going to exceed the cost of her monthly mortgage. That, ladies and gentlemen, is, is just unconscionable. That is why insurance needs to be eliminated from everyday health care, and it needs to be put in its proper place where it is just there to cover us for the very expensive, the unexpected, the catastrophic events that people face from time to time. But the 95% of health care that we use every day does not require insurance involvement. 85% of the 10 million people who buy insurance on the health care exchanges qualify for subsidies they're going to be shielded from these price increases. The people who are affected are the people who earn too much money to qualify for subsidies. Who are these people? These are the people who make more than four times the federal poverty um, uh, level. So we're talking about people who are earning um, more than um, eighty thousand dollars a year. Eighty thousand dollars a year does not buy you a lot of money or a lot of a lot of uh, services. When you are after taxes, after you pay your rent or your mortgage, your utility bills, all of your other day-to-day expenses. You cannot be expected to have to pay six thousand eight thousand ten thousand dollars a year on health care insurance, and on top of that have to pay more for the copay and for the deductible this is this is just not what what um we're, we're talking about and um the, the the arguments for single-payer are heating up because of this, and uh, ladies and gentlemen, do not fall into the trap of believing that this issue is a um, reflection on why health care should not be privatized. Why health care should not be in the hands of patients and and they should be in control of their health care. This is not an indictment of healthcare in America. This is an indictment of government involvement in healthcare, perverting it, making it into something that it was never intended to be, that it shouldn't be, distorting the natural marketplace for healthcare care giving special interests the the sweetheart deals that they have sought to to suck money out of the system without giving um, value back to patients the single payer is not the answer you know I get into this discussion with people all the time they um, I ask them if they believe in American exceptionalism. And um, and most people do. They say, oh, yes, we are the greatest country. And then I ask them, well, if you believe in American exceptionalism, why do you want to be like the rest of the world when it comes to health care? The rest of the world is not going to Denmark. They're not going to Cuba. They're not going to to Japan for their healthcare, they're coming to the US because we are different. That's American exceptionalism. We should not try to make our healthcare system look like the rest of the world. The rest of the world should make their healthcare system look like America, and they're trying to do that. In the socialized medicine countries like England, now Canada, they realize they can't afford to give everybody everything that they want all the time. And what do they do? They ration care. And people aren't, aren't happy with that. And so these countries are now making it more possible for people to get the care that they want, that they demand, in a, in a private insurance model. And so the world is moving toward what we have at the same time that people in this country want us to move away and go to what the rest of the world wants to abandon, That's what American exceptionalism is. That's why our system needs to be fixed and needs to be fixed by getting the special interests out. And we're going to talk about that in the last segment, about some ideas that have been in the newspaper by um, some uh, uh, very um, uh, knowledgeable people in, in this area. So stay with us and we'll wrap it up in the doctor's lounge.
0: You're listening to America's Web Radio
1: on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we finish up in the last segment in the Doctor's Lounge. Thanks for being with us today. We uh, have covered a, a, a little bit of ground on, on uh, where we're at right now with health care. And um, I'd like to wrap this up with some thoughts that have been in uh, print not uh, long ago, actually, just two days ago, there was another article by Scott Atlas. Uh, he is a uh, a radiologist, a fellow at the Hoover Institute. Um, he's written a book on on the subject, and he wrote an article about in the Wall Street Journal. And he's, I've seen this appear in several online publications, including uh, uh, Fox News and uh, Town Hall. And what um, he is uh, um, trying to get across is the fact that we are focused on the wrong issues in this debate. Where have you heard that before? Okay, so this is something that we've talked about for the last three years. That that um, that healthcare insurance does not mean healthcare and we are focusing on the wrong things that um we are completely the debate is completely missing the real problems and uh um Dr. Atlas is partly uh uh gets it right but he leaves out some of the most important factors in in his thesis he's saying that um the insurance issues are really what is uh, driving costs up. and we need to focus on how do we drive costs down? And um, he uh, contends that uh, that market conditions that bring prices down need to be established while at the same time improving quality. And access to care can be expanded by reducing the cost of that care. So, if you lower the cost of care then then there'll be more opportunities to get health care and he's right in 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 large part, if health care was not so expensive, we would not even be having this discussion because people would just go and get their health care just like going to you know buy an auto insurance policy. But we're not even talking about insurance now. We're talking about the commodity of health care. So people get services. They go to get their their car worked on, or they go to an accountant to get their taxes done, or they go to a a, a veterinarian to get their dog um, shots. People are, are able to get those services because they are not backbreakers financially, but In healthcare, the unnatural marketplace created in large part thanks to the government meddling in areas they should never have meddled in have created this unnatural environment where special interests have had an opportunity to rape the system of its $3.2 trillion dollars Annual economy one fifth to one sixth of the GDP. So, what what Doctor Atlas talks about in his articles are that patients should be equipped to consider prices for what they are getting, and um, what what is uh, important to understand is that Obamacare made costs in healthcare less transparent because of broad coverage requirements and misguided subsidies that encouraged bloated insurance policies with the purpose of minimizing out-of-pocket costs. And this backfired because it could not be sustained without increasing government support. And so he believes that you need to have price transparency, and that would greatly um, uh, help to allow patients to become consumers and shop for their health care and there are people who think patients aren't smart enough to do that and that's just that's typical of a liberal a leftist way of thinking that not giving people enough credit to be able to think for themselves you know this is the difference between a leftist and a conservative, a leftist, thinks that you're a child, and the government needs to provide everything for you. A conservative believes in you, and believes that you, the people, have the the mental and the um, the uh, intellectual capacity to be able to think and to process information if you are given the opportunity to get that information. Dr. Atlas believes that HSA's health savings accounts would greatly help and they would put patients in a position to be able to shop for care, directly pay for their care, and give them tax relief. He, that, this is a the second thesis of his, that the tax policies are misaligned and that if you can create a tax um, policy, that aligns incentives for people to have health savings accounts and disincentivizes employers from giving insurance, um, health care insurance to employees where they're not taxed for it and where they're encouraged to have rich policies so that they really don't um, have any um, limitations on what they spend on their health care because there's really no skin in the game because their insurance is covering it and it's paid for by their employer. So um, he believes that if you align the tax system with the health care system in such a way that the incentives were aligned, that it would take away the the urge to overspend on healthcare and put things back where they belong, where people would make economic decisions based on how much things cost and and what their responsibility for it would be, and then in a marketplace like that, there would be competitive, there would be competition on pricing. Um, he he thinks that the Competition should come from doctors and hospitals, and this is where I disagree with him. The doctors aren't competing on prices they're not the responsible party in this um, escalating health care cost debacle. Hospitals are not doctors doctors account for between eight and twelve percent of that healthcare care dollar, and they're not they 're not the ones that are driving that cost curve up in fact, the cost curve. Is coming down because they're victims too. The doctors are accepting whatever the insurance companies are willing to pay them. They're not the ones that are driving those insurance costs up. They're basically passive um, participants in this system. It's been many many years since doctors controlled the the uh, cost curve in healthcare. Now it's the hospitals that are controlling the cost curve, and they're the ones that are driving up the costs, charging astronomical fees for um, for services in the hospital, buying up physician practices and surgery centers, and converting what was once low cost care because that was where the uh, where most people were getting their care in private offices in in freestanding centers, hospitals bringing them into their institution as an off site um, satellite, but being able to charge the same rates as they can charge in their hospital. And that's what's driving up the costs. And that's what we really need to be talking about, and what Dr. Atlas fails to really articulate in his pieces. He also is saying that the um, the reason why costs, we're not talking about costs is because there's an accessibility problem to healthcare, care. And that accessibility problem is manufactured by physicians who are uh, keeping um, any willing provider from giving health care. What does that mean? Let me just unpackage that for you. What he's basically saying is that in healthcare, there are um, nurse practitioners, there are physician's assistants, there are non-physician healthcare providers, and he's saying open up the entire marketplace to create a competitive market, and when you do that, you'll lower the cost. But again, that fails to miss what the real cost of healthcare is, which is not scope of practice issues. What he really hasn't talked about are the hospitals where they are controlling the marketplace with certificate of need laws that are preventing competition or the laws that prevent doctors from getting together to create solutions that will drive the cost of healthcare down. The, um, regulatory state with, um, laws that keep two doctors from talking and getting together to put a low-cost solution in place because of antitrust. Um, that's, that's really what the problem is. Insurance, um, giving insurance companies these sweetheart deals so they can talk amongst each other about how to price things. That's antitrust but they're able to do that and the government turns a blind eye to that Um, he fails to talk about that insurance right now is prepaid health care and that's and Obamacare mandates require insurance companies to offer everything he fails to mention that the high cost of health care is because of this and that we need to get insurance out of health care and if we do that then the cost will come down he, did mention, he does mention price transparency, but he fails to mention uh, defensive medicine, which is another major reason why health care costs are so high. Drug costs, incredibly high, and in the, um, the current laws, again, favor the pharmaceutical industry that were part of the um, the effort to put Obamacare in place. Instead of patients being able to get Low-cost drugs from Canada or other markets—that is against the law—and and, and uh, Dr. Atlas fails to uh, bring that out. And the entitlement, the entitlement uh, um, issue with Medicare and Medicaid, the waste involved, and the fact that that there is so much um, disconnect between what patients are responsible for and what is being paid. Um, The majority of health care is given in the last two weeks of a patient's life because families are wanting... Um, the physicians to do everything at any cost, even though it's a a, a terminal case. If patients were partly responsible for the costs involved with this and had to make decisions that would impact them financially, we would um, not be in a position where all this money was wasted. So although Dr. Atlas mentions a lot of this in his articles, I think there's way more many issues that are responsible for the high cost of care that he is not bringing out so that's where we're at right now and uh we've talked a lot today about a number of issues and i uh appreciate you being with us in the doctor's lounge and come back in two weeks when we uh, uh will be back with you with uh, uh a very interesting show which i'm hoping to have on uh, hip nation so stay come back and join us With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.